Good day and welcome to the Outer Twilight Podcast, Season 2, Episode 9, where we're going to do a little bit of story workshopping. Now, last episode, we did uh, a story prompt, and one of those story prompts kind of caught our imagination a little bit, and we're going to Mm. run with that a little bit. So, as always, I'm here. I'm Michael and joined by Andrew. How are you doing, Andrew? I am well. Excited for something to try something new. Excellent. Well, and yeah, yeah we don't know how this is going to go, but uh, yeah, let's give it a shot and see what ends up happening. But uh, so mm-hmm. the story prompt that we kind of both really resonated one with was the one that you did. And mm-hmm. so for those of you who just listened or recently listened to the last episode, you might have an idea what this is, but just really briefly, Andrew, can you go over what that prompt was? Well, initially it was a father taking his son on a trip to slay demons, I believe in uh, Maine, if I remember right, was mm-hmm. the, the story. But uh, what I did was I changed it to being, cryptids uh that were being hunted just because the demon hunter thing seems it could be kind of done an awful lot whereas cryptids you know kind of covers a broad variety of subjects like uh you know mothman and and bigfoot and all those kinds of things so i thought there was some more variety there uh and then the father is taking his son uh and the son is basically going to become a hunter like his dad and has just sort of found out it, it basically the road trip is his dad telling him about this. Uh, I tied it into Salem, Massachusetts and the witch, witch trials as well there, uh, which are revolving more around uh, those who are accused of being witches being those who protect cryptids. Um, so they're actually, you know, they were, <laughs> they were demonized as, as practice, you know, that they practiced magic, but in reality, what they were doing is, building relationships with these creatures uh, in actual historical fact, nobody really knows what started um, the Salem witch trials. And so I like that idea. Um, And then basically now in the present day, cryptids have managed to proliferate throughout the United States or North America. uh, And cryptids are protected uh, by uh, what, used to be called witches, but are now called protectors. Uh, and so that's the the premise. That was the, the story prompt and the idea that we went with. Perfect. So what we're going to do, so the thought that we had is with this kind of workshopping is let's dig into the creative process. And for us to gain some experience in how to bring a story from that idea stage and to build on it and to keep going like we've done we've done this with story prompts where we have just really short term but never had to do anything with it now let's see what the next part of that process can look like um so we'll do stuff like world building character creation plot development you know and do all these things until we reach a point where there is no choice but to sit down and write the story as it were. Mm. And then at that point, we'll have to make some decisions and and see what we decide to do. Or uh, maybe we do write it. Maybe we just uh, try this process with uh, one of our own stories or a new prompt. But um, for right now, you know, we'll start the process. And and I think it's important to kind of make a, not a disclaimer, but that this process looks different for everybody. 
And even, you know, if we were to do this again, it would probably look very different for us. Um, so there's no right way to do this. Mm-hmm. And so today we're going to focus, well, I guess at the beginning and, um, and I thought creating some parameters for the story that we want to create, um, would be helpful because what I've, I've read a lot and heard a lot about people who do the creating or world building. And I've heard it referred to as like world building disease that they can spend like a decade just building the world for their story <laughs> and never actually writing the story. And and if that's what you want to do, by all means do that, you know, if that's what you're looking at. But uh, I think what we want to be able to do is to do a bit of the world building, but also get to the point of um, having to make that decision to, to write or not and to keep moving forward with it. So, um, so I think one of the things that works with this is that that way is that in terms of cryptids and things like that, that there is a lot, actually a lot of existing lore already, uh, which is one of the things I think that sparked me is you're kind of jumping off of something that's already there. Um, mm-hmm. and so in terms of world building and, and what cryptids are and stuff, I mean, we can expand on it, but we don't have to create it at a whole cloth. It's, you know, we're, we're building on something that's already there. And, and also the whole Salem witch trials thing as well is something that can be built off of. Well, absolutely. Like I, I know like Brandon Sanderson, he talks about, um, having two separate ideas and kind of melding them together, the the strange attractor, and that mm-hmm. that melding of the two different ideas can create something something new, but also has an anchor point. And I was actually shocked when I did a little bit of research into cryptids about how much information is out there, and I yeah. use the term <laughs> information very very loosely. Uh, there's, there's an awful lot of YouTube videos about, uh, cryptid hunters and, uh, stuff like I knew, like Bigfoot hunters is, you know, the kind of the common go-to or the the Loch Ness monster, uh, researchers. Uh, but there's a lot more to it, a lot more to it, um, that can be mine. So, so I thought where we could start, um, is, Kind of this, the basic premise, which you already mentioned, you know, with the son learns from father, the father's a cryptid hunter and initiating son to that lifestyle during summer vacation is our very basic premise. And at last episode, we did talk about, you know, other things that we can be doing with that. But I think if we start there and build from that, that core, because it would seem to me that, that the boy or the son would be our protagonist, our, our main point of view type of character that we'd be yep. going through because it's, it, it, it offers that, um, stranger in a strange land, you know, where he's kind of the stand in for the reader experiencing all this new information for the first time. And, uh, so makes it a good jumping off point. So, Putting the parameters or the guidelines for us, I guess one of the main starting points is kind of looking at genre and mm-hmm. what what genre really well, I think there's a few genres that lend themselves to to this type of story. Um I don't know. What are your thoughts on I mean, obviously I I like well not obviously if you haven't uh, talked to me much before, but I, I have a huge passion for horror 
Um, but I don't think I would see this story particularly as straight up horror just because it would make it really hard to, uh, like when you have the father and son dynamic, I don't think it, it can strictly be horror. I think there can be horror elements to it. Um, I think really it fits more into the adventure category, uh, you know, coming of age a little bit, but, um, you know, we're basically creating something that is much more in the longer term story. Like that was one of the things we haven't really mentioned yet is that really by all accounts, this book seems to be like, it would be the first one in a series Mm -hmm. um, would be kind of what we'd be looking at. And so, um, but I would say uh, elements of horror. I don't think that that can really be avoided uh, it, because that's a good place to create suspense, especially when you're talking about cryptids. There's a lot of great ways you can expand on, you know, why they are what they are. Um, and I think that certainly some of them anyway would be, you know, horror based. Uh, and then looking at adventure, I think it's, you know, adventure is the idea of expanding a person's mindset. Um, and that's where, you know, we're starting with a, a, a kid, essentially, who's not really in the know at all, and then moving into the world being a much bigger place than he thought it was. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts? I, it's interesting. Like, I'm generally speaking, not a big horror fan. That being said, something that intrigues me about dabbling in that from a writing perspective but i think i agree with what you're saying that it there being elements of horror but probably balanced off with the wonder of these new things and that and like you know i don't even know that today we'll be talking about the actual cryptids themselves but i think there, there can be a certain element of you know they're not all one type and not all one thing and that there are going to be no. some that are horrible and some that might be like, you know, mystical, wonderful kind of thing. And so I, I think that, um, you know, and I have in the back of my mind, some other horror elements of depending on what we decide to do between the dynamic of the father and the son and, and uh, you know, what the actual antagonists are in the story and what the, you know, the main conflicts are in the story. So, um, so yeah, adventure. I do love the idea of it being an adventure and just a lot of action happening. Um, learning new things about the character, learning new things about themselves and being put into, um, dangerous situations that has to rely on a lot of different aspects of who, he is to be able to, to get out of those things. So, um, mm-hmm. though this does bump into at least how you come about it, going at it with, do we want to set like an, a, an age range, like middle grade or young adult? Um, like, I don't think we don't have to be beholden to the, uh, where the prompt originated from. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. And I, so here's, here's my thoughts on this. So lately, So my daughter is 13 and lately, and and my son is 10. So there's, there's three years between them. And I mean, you, you have kids too. Um, And yet I can, I know that my kids are totally different dispositions. Uh, Where I'm going with this is that my daughter, her favorite movie is Jaws. We watched it a couple of years ago. (laughs) 
you know, lately we've been watching things like uh, Wednesday uh, on Netflix. We've also we just are watching Lockwood and Co., uh, which are definitely more on the scary side of things. Um, and so I would. I'm kind of wondering if age is maybe a bit restrictive just because there's pe- different people who have different tastes and different mindsets in how they view and in- and interact with things. So like as a parent, I think, you know, like the horror elements and stuff, I don't mind if it's a little bit scary because that's what my daughter, my daughter's okay mm-hmm. with that. Like she doesn't really have too much of a problem with it. Um, and I, I don't really, even though I like horror, I wouldn't be, my experience has been that people who aren't overly experienced themselves with horror tend to overestimate what horror means Mm -hmm. and what it looks like. And they tend to say that it's all blood and guts and grossness when that isn't what really horror is. It can be dialed in in a lot of different ways. Um, And so I guess I would say like, I wouldn't want to restrict anybody's ability to read it, but at the same time, you know, I would want to write it as something I would like to read or something my daughter would like to read, which would mean that it would need to have genuine peril. It might have a little bit of blood, but nothing major. Um, maybe a good way to think about it would be like PG-13, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of in that vein. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I think when I do come across this, like, like I don't want to be, I don't want to be creating this down to a certain age type thing. Um, and I don't, I do like the idea of it being accessible to a larger segment. And so not Mm -hmm. going in saying, okay, no, there's going to be middle grade type thing. Cause like really, if you look at it and it's difficult, so not that we're in any way comparing what we're trying to do to Harry Potter, but you know, the original Harry Potters are middle grade books and they kind of transition into young adult, but as an, being an adult, when I read it and experienced it all, it's like, you could have told me that this is just a regular adult, you know, urban fantasy. And yeah, I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. And I think that's the kind of feel that I want. That, yes, you know, that sure. a middle grader, a mature middle grader could pick it up and be able to have characters that they can relate to and ideas that they can relate to and be able to read it. But at the same time, you know, an adult or, you know, a dad and their kid can sit down and read it together and each have their own level of enjoyment, but some sort of enjoyment and engagement yeah. with the story. So, um and I think it's all about tempering the, because when you're using descriptive words and things like that, there's a lot of wiggle room in terms of like, so like in Star Wars, for example, I mean, a meme about Star Wars is that somebody in every Star Wars movie loses a limb, right? They get mm-hmm. they get hit with a lightsaber and they lose a limb. And yet that's like one of the most accessible franchises, you know, globally is, is Star Wars. And yet you know, there's this limb lopping thing. And I mean, that's done visually, but you do the same thing with words where you kind of, if it comes across a bit, you know, too violent or too harsh, then you can always pull it back and temper it. Right. So I kind of, you know, I, I think that writing it with a a universally enjoyable mindset 
I guess, would be more where I'd be looking. Um, certainly, you'd, I, you know, you're not going to read it to your toddler, um, but age, so age appropriateness will be a factor. But I'd rather let the story determine that than the other way around, you know? Yeah, I think it's more so like it's one thing to go into and say, okay, no, we want to make this a middle grade thing. And then that does dictate. But I think um, probably where we'd be more successful and particularly is two guys who haven't written a whole lot of novels, um, unless there's stuff you aren't telling me, <laughs> but no, write the book that we would have loved to have read either when we were yes. teens or young adults, or that we would love to be able to read to our own kids and share with their own kids, mm-hmm. write that book. And then, you know, once we're done, you know, if we get to the end of first draft and it starts leaning towards a certain, Hmm. Maybe there is a certain amount of middle grade, you know, fit to it. Then we can start looking at what are the the literary tropes of the middle grade genre or the young adult genre and to see, you know, what tropes need to be busted or what maybe we need to avoid. Like, I think where it really starts to, so when books get defined, often they look at the age of the, the protagonist as being a key part of that determining where a book gets slotted in um what are the main um conflicts or events that are happening so like if you have a book that's accessible but accessible to all these ages but there's like no or there's light romance but there's no sex then you're probably looking more at like you know upper middle grade low young adult um i think maybe it's more so if you really want to hit that young adult market then there are certain things that you just kind of have to have in there to um, Mm -hmm. make it successful. But I don't think that's really what we're aiming for here. Uh, You know? Well, yeah, at least not immediately. No, Well, Uh, I mean like some more, more so we're not writing this to be successful. We're writing this as an exercise. And for, you know, um, again, to, to reference Brandon Sanderson said, when in doubt, err on the side of awesome. And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I mean i think i would like to focus on like so thematically like darkly humorous uh in the sense like the well i guess so are we talking about the protagonist at this point or what are, uh, well what i think we, so i uh, think i don't want to get ahead of you no i, I think it, i was about to make that that shift too to talk about the protagonist like what age is the protagonist and um, see, I think like when we look at Harry Potter and a lot of those franchises, a lot of them start out pretty young, like, you know, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and it seems to be like the strictly romantic ones that it's almost like, well, because it's going to be romantic, they can't be that young. So they're going to be 16. So I kind of like the idea of sort of an older boy who's almost at the, well, you know, a teenage boy, like 16, say, who's not so much into the, like, you know, the romance and girls kinds of things. He's more like sort of like this road trip is a bit of a burden because he's not at a point where he really wants to go on vacation with his dad anymore. Like he, or like he doesn't, there's a a divide that has opened as he's gotten a bit older. I like the idea of, you know, that he doesn't have a great relationship with his dad. Um, And, you know, this being billed as kind of a, a trip where 
they can, you know, dad is sort of making it as like a bonding experience kind of thing that when, when that, so essentially when our, our hero finds out that his dad is essentially taking him on this thing. And not only that, he's, the expectation is that he does something like he's being told that you're going to become a hunter. Right. And he's not real like, and it's on the way, right? Like he's being told this on the way that it's kind of like, you know, what the heck? Like, it would have been nice if you'd asked me first, if this is what you wanted me to do or to be, it would have been nice to know this a little more ahead of time, you know, and, and the dad not really having many more answers other than uh, this is the way it's always been done. Well, um, it, it does make me think of the fact that, you know, like from an age perspective, he is taking his son to teach him how to kill things and, and not from a, yeah. and not from a, okay, we're going duck hunting, but from a, we're going to kill things that may or may not be trying to kill you back <laughs> and th- right. that are genuinely dangerous. Yeah. And so you're probably not wanting to take a 12, 13 year old to do that. You know, so this yeah. 16 is kind of, you know, the pseudo entering manhood kind of, realm and so that that does fit and and even with what you're saying about you know the dad you know when when he tells him about it it's like like i i almost picture that he tells him by he takes them into the woods to show him okay there's you know something over here okay you see but behind that rock now look closely now look in the space between where you think the rock is and where the rock isn't and and then he starts to see that okay there's a whatever kind of creature and, you know, kind of this sense of wonder in the sun, like, okay, dad wasn't a lunatic because the whole trip out here, he was talking about all these crazy stories and dad's always been, you know, very fanciful about stuff like that. And, and then, then it's like, okay, look at this wondrous thing. Okay. Now here's how we're going to kill it. And uh, <laughs> wait, what? Yeah. There, yeah. The, there's a bit of a turn. And I, I, I like I, like I, I think in a lot of sixteen-year-old boy, it was definitely in me. But there, you know, I think sixteen-year-olds in general, there's a, a desire for independence. You know, sort of, you're not yet a grown-up, but you're certainly looking forward to being one. There's sense of invincibility uh, as well, because you really haven't been faced with anything overly challenging. You know, um, and I kind of. I would think that narratively what could work really well is an ongoing sense of like, it turns out his dad is right in a lot of circumstances, but it just, it adds another facet as to why he's frustrated about his relationship with his dad and about life in general. Yeah. You know, like, Oh good. So dad's finally letting him into my, letting me into his life, but he's asking me to kill something mm-hmm. and he, or he's telling me to kill something and I don't really want to, um, I don't know if this is something I ever thought, like I've never thought, you know, like, would I be a hunter? You know, this isn't, uh, which I guess would uh, facet to be put that in too, would then be that he would be an urban kid, right? Not a lot of real understanding of nature, um, in, in, you know, in its sort of pristine sense, uh, doesn't directly really understand or know where his food comes kind of kid. Uh, I think that could work really well in that dynamic as well. Um so there's, there's kind of like a naivety to, you know, he knows the urban experience and even, you know, like, uh, you know, I remember being a teenager and going to Vancouver with my friends 
um, from our, you know, suburban uh, Port Coquitlam, like our suburban area kind of thing. And you'd see, you know, you'd smell people smoking pot and you would see, you know, people that probably were best not to get too close to, or there'd be a person that would walk by you talking to themselves very Mm -hmm. vigorously and stuff. And so there'd be a sense that the world is somewhat of a sketchy place at times, but not expecting that out in the country, not expecting that out in sort of the suburbs or out in the, you know, the wilderness. And so I think having a, a sense of cockiness mixed with invincibility, but also, you know, a healthy dose of cynicism and like whatever dad's trying to connect with me. And I don't, I'm, you know, I'm going to find reasons to be in conflict pretty much consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and I I wonder, you know, maybe the root of it could be like, I think in the prompt, it was suggested that like the mother and father are divorced and mm -hmm. that maybe like the mother, the mother was, was a city, was a city girl. And he was this, you know, hunter who maybe when he was young, he had kind of rejected it for a while, but then got brought back into it, but never told her about it. And that difference just brought them apart and she got custody. And so she raised, you know, the boy as, you know, as the city dweller, as that, you know, urban type of kid that you're talking about creates all these ideas. And now the dad's, you know, okay, well, here's what you don't know about my life type of thing. And that can create a lot of confusion for him because, you know, he might have, well, like you said, a lot of cynicism about it and the unexpected nature of it and, and all these type of things where, um, but it creates a lot of good conflict points that, uh, between father and son that even, you know, there probably would be a part of the part of the the son that would you know, kind of admire that suddenly dad's a whole lot cooler. Because, um, you know, maybe in, in, in years past, you know, the summer with dad was like going to these tourist place and doing all the, the dorky dad type of things. And now, yeah, dad's pulling out the duster and the crossbow and <laughs> suddenly he's like. Well, and I think. I think what that creates to me is a, is kind of a conflict in the character to be like, so is dad cool? Like he's also, cause the dad's also creating the problems, mm-hmm. right? Like if we go and find a cryptid in the woods and you're going to kill it and there's hesitation and this thing is aggressive, then it, it's, <laughs> it's like, wow, this is really cool. Dad's showing me something very few people have ever seen. And now it's trying to kill me. So on the one hand, this is really cool. On the other hand, what the crap dad, right? Like th- there's a, you know, uh, and I think to, uh, what I'm getting at, I guess, and what, where my mind is going is kind of a more realistic approach, I think, um, in, in, in the sense, not that, you know, a lot of these other, uh, fictional worlds are kind of exciting and this, you know, like Harry Potter is never like, you know, wow, this really sucks. Why am I doing this? It's, it, you know, with a lot of fantasy horror writing, there's a lot of kind of like wide eyed wonder. Um, and I kind of would want to include some cynicism there of like, this is kind of cool and everything, knowing things that nobody else knows, but I sort of also miss not knowing those things. Mm. I, I miss having a much more simple, straightforward life. I miss, you know, and, and not really having a choice like that. 
you know, it's it, um, uh, something that comes to mind because I think in images and movies and stuff, you know, in Men in Black, where Tommy Lee Jones in the first one, he sits down Will Smith and says, you know, you if you're going to do this, I'll, you know, come to this address tomorrow. But know that what you're doing is leaving, you know, your life behind kind of thing. And I like the idea of that kind of thing where it's like you, you, <laughs> you're leaving your life behind, but then not having a choice, I think would create an interesting internal conflict realistically that it would take you a while to go. Yeah, this is something I'm somebody that's needed. Like there is something that in, in my nature and in my being that makes me need to be this person, but I'm going to need a hefty load of convincing first. Um, before I just go, okay, and go right into it. Right. Right. Um, so, so then that brings us to, okay, the conflicts in the story. And this is something obviously that we'll need to come back to numerous times as different elements get put into this. But so we're looking at that conflict between, you know, his past life and his new life, the conflict between, you know, his father who, like you say, okay, is he cool? Is he not cool? You know, is this right? Is it not right? Um, my dad's been lying to me for 16 years and <laughs> now he's not. And, or, or mm-hmm. is, is he not, you know, maybe not being able to trust that. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily the central conflict. Like, you know, if this was a, a just a character story type of thing, um, and I don't know, maybe looking at what the antagonist is or the, the main driver. Cause like it's, yeah, he, he's leaving his old world, entering this new world, experiencing all these things. But, um, you know, is there something else that we need to introduce? Like, I don't want to say necessarily the bad guy. Um, cause we still don't actually have a story. We have a situation, but we don't actually have a story right. yet. Um, See, and I think, yeah, I wonder whether what kind of makes sense to me. So, okay, so here, here was the thought process that I had in terms of a, a vi- well, villain, I guess might be a different word. But um, the first part of the, the qualifier for this is maybe the whole Salem stuff doesn't come up in the first story. Um, maybe that comes up more in his dad telling him about it, but in terms of practically experiencing it or, you know, the induction of whatever society or whatever we come up with, uh, that doesn't happen right away. Uh, what came to mind for me is that there are a lot of like, you know, hunting stories or, or legends about, you know, sort of this one lake, for example, would have, you know, there's you know, uh, bury the bass. Right. And he's like the, it's the fish that everybody has tried to catch, you know, at fishing derbies, he's wily. He's, you know, he's also huge cause he's super duper old, you know, and, and that maybe it's, it's more that his dad, the antagonist in the first book is his dad taking him for a, a, an opportunity to strike at his most elusive target. The one that he's been hunting for, years sometimes actively sometimes passively trying to get information trying to grow on that you know trying to grow in his understanding of this creature trying to figure out how to take it on um and then 
you know, basically the goal for this trip is not only going, getting to Salem, but taking out, you know, whatever the, the big cryptid in this one is his dad's nemesis. Um, and that could be the res, the resolving factor as well. You know, that having the back and forth in their relationship where, you know, is dad cool? Is he not cool? I don't know if I like this or do like this, but, basically they end up coming together in taking down this massive, you know, sort of from his father's perspective, it's a challenge from the uh, main character's perspective. It's a, it's like beyond his realm of understanding, Um, uh, you know, and at the same time, I would love the idea that his dad has lost perspective so much that he essentially uses him as bait. And so it's like, you know, in order to take this thing down, I need someone I can trust to tell about this, who I'm expecting to become like me. Uh, But the only way that I can think of to try and catch this thing off guard is to use my kid as bait. And so his dad's obsession with that, you know, creature has blinded him to his duties as a dad. Um you know, and it's sort of like all under the guise of proving you worthy, you know, well, I was just trying to prove you worthy. And, you know, the kid realizes this is interesting. This is cool. This is something I'm curious about. I want to find out more. Um, And possibly even coming to the point where he's like, I think I need to figure out whether this is right and right or wrong on my own. And I'm not going to figure that out. If I say, screw this, I'm not doing it. Maybe I just need to keep going with this, going along with it, with a healthy sense of caution. And is my dad nuts? Is the society he's a part of nuts? And maybe there's more here than meets the eye. Um, I don't know. But I think the idea of like a a legendary animal or a legendary cryptid would be a, a cool way to a cool goal for the end of the story. Right. So I find myself wondering then what kind of guy the father is, um, you know, what has his journey been to this point? I, I do like the idea of it being, you know, I get so common fantasy trope is the idea of, you know, the wise mentor, um, the training montage, the mentor dies, and then, you know, have to find it within yourself to take over the mentor's role and, you know, and be able to accomplish the thing that things that the mentor couldn't. And, but in most of those, the mentor is like a good person that just doesn't quite get to that that point and it needs that next right yeah you know, that trainee to to take over that role but you know so i you know, part of me kind of likes the idea i guess my mind automatically goes to okay so play with that mentor trope where it seems like you know okay he's yeah that he's a good guy he's honestly trying to share his life he's you know making up for all these years and but like he said that you know, in the end, maybe he's lost his perspective on things and he is actually just, you know, like the boy figures out that I'm the bait. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, 
it's, he's not trying to teach me anything. He's, you know, I'm, I'm the bait here and like, who's the real monster. And, um, you know, so where, yeah. where maybe the yeah. father ends up being the actual monster here in how he treats the things around. And well, I, I think, you know, like the, the quest, like I can, I think what excites me is the conversation sort of after everything's resolved with whatever the creature is and kind of having the kid go, what, how would you have been like, if I died, what was your plan at that point? Right. And sort of having the dad go, I didn't, I didn't really have a plan particularly one way or the other about, I thought I'd see, we wait and see what happens. Right. Um, you know, I've been after the, and almost getting into almost a narcissistic kind of vibe where it's like, I've been trying to get this thing for 25, 30 years. Right. And you know, you help me get it. Why can't you just be happy about that? You know, and the kid being a lot smarter than, you know, the dad thinks he is essentially, you know, it's, it's that idea that like parents sometimes think that their kids are sort of dumb and like not very, uh, intuitive. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we are often at that age, a lot more intuitive than I, like that. We're never sort of more disparate from our parents in terms of our views and perspectives. And basically, you know, the kid cluing his dad in and going like, I totally get what you were trying to do here, you know? Like, and the dad being like, well, I didn't expect you to figure that out. (laughs) I didn't expect you to realize that you were the bait. I didn't see that, you know, I didn't think you were that smart. And it's like, thanks. Thanks a lot. You know, and, and, and sort of, I mean, even leaving it not at the end with the, you know, sort of the dad and the son reconciling, but with the son's, which again, I think goes against trope, right? That's the expectation is that the, the, they would, you know, oh, well, you know, well, agree to disagree and I'm all oh, hug it out, you know. And I, but I think the idea of the kid, of this uh, dad going, okay, so you're, you're with me. You got to decide now. Are you with me or are you not with me on this? And the son going, oh, I, I'm with you. But internally going, he thinks I'm with him, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether my, whether this whole thing is cool or crazy mm-hmm. and you know and i think even then you know that's the the what you leave the reader with too going into the second you know story is is this a good endeavor or not and not knowing so i almost wonder if part of that could be that we would do we would introduce you know the the female equivalent of him but her true like you know so a protector but her true identity is not revealed maybe at all you know in the story or just at the very end but you know she is part of what helps him go through the mental process of like when he has conflict with his dad and stuff like that, or he's really questioning that. I don't think we want it to be just purely internal monologue on his part, trying to figure things out. Um, You know, so I think that if, that he, if he has somebody that he can be talking to, um, you know, in somewhat mm, guarded tones, because, you know, he doesn't want us to just, so we're hunting these things. And, you know, so he's, trying to keep secrets while trying to confess what's going on 
with somebody who, you know, is very understanding, maybe is kind of a foil to him where, you know, she has a great relationship with her mother, with her parent, um, and creates that balance for him, you know, that he's never really had in his life and helps him along the thinking process so that, you know, when push comes to shove, um, you know, she's, it's, you know, almost her voice in his mind, helping to push him along to where he needs to get, because then it does set up a new conflict that when he makes this realization, okay, my dad's using me as bait. My dad's, you know, this, that I need to keep an eye on my dad type of thing. When he does find out who she really is. Okay. Was she just manipulating me the whole time or was she just being genuine and being a friend kind of thing? What connects that for me? And you know, I think that it's a good, uh, it might be a good way to kind of leave it with a bit of a mystery for the end of this episode. But, uh, uh, the idea that, you know, the, if there's a protector for cryptids, then we maybe dad and, and sort of to us too, we know that there's protectors for cryptids based on what dad has told us, but we don't intentionally really mention it with, uh, um, with the, the big one that dad is after and that whatever the location is, say small town, or uh, I, I kind of think of like resort towns that are only open for, you know, like they make most of their money from, you know, the, the summer months kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, dad and son are set up in this place for a couple of days. And he like meets her at like a, like she's maybe, you know, either a waitress or she runs a shop like a, uh, uh, and actually what would be a cool way to do it is even like a, like a, you know, so they have the, the Bigfoot gift shop, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so something along that lines where it's like the local cryptid, it's this, this is the gift shop for this legendary creature that everybody thinks is legitimately fake, but is actually real. Um, and then, you know, he talks with her and spends time with her, but we don't directly ever know that she's this thing's protector. And so then, after everything happens, he gets pissed off. He wanders off to find her because she's basically the only other person he's connected with. And he tells her what's happened. And she, like, sort of when he says, we just killed this thing, you know, and she basically goes white and, like, show me where, show me where this is, right? And they take, she, he takes her to it. You know, and the dad's gone, presumably looking for him. And it turns out that she was this thing's protector. And that that's kind of the, you know, she helps him come to the realization that there needs to be more investigation into this. This isn't necessarily a good thing. This is possibly his dad is up to no good. Um, and And his sense of responsibility may be shifting from becoming you know the the pressure of becoming what his his dad is telling him to become to being maybe the one that needs to take down what his dad has been doing you know and leaving that question hanging in the air i don't know what do you think of that no i think that's a good starting point i think um so kind of what i'm hearing that we're getting to here is that to a certain degree 
the the main the internal conflict is is between him and his dad and the life that was the life that could be and what is actually true or not about it while at the same time having that conflict externally of the thing that they're hunting and it actually being relatively dangerous um but probably not in a malicious dangerous way but as in a you know a semi-intelligent creature backed into a corner and being hunted kind of dangerous um so i think we're probably getting to wrapping up this episode and Mm -hmm. so i think what we need to do is we need to create some homework here and um what you never told me this was a part of it (laughs) i distinctly told you there would be homework um so i think a good starting point is um at least a basic character sketch for the boy and for the father and to kind of really dig into that relationship um so who they are um who they are relative to one another who they are as separate individuals because i think a lot of that will inform you know, the bulk of this story and, and how we go about that story. And, and then from there figuring out, okay, well then, you know, figuring out what kind of cryptid do we want to use? And then like things will have to flow out from that. And I think like there has to be a reason that this particular cryptid is, you know, the long time arch nemesis to the father and, you know, makes it dangerous without, you know, or you know, the fact that there isn't another hunter that's come along and uh, taken it out over all these years, and right, yeah, the relationships that go with that. So, um, so I think even before we can get into the the background of you know the hunters and where they come from, and you know cryptids and why they were created, and like these are all questions that need to be answered. I think starting with that relationship and that definition of the the boy and his father. Um, so that, you know, when we come back next time, we can clearly define that and then build out from that. And I think understanding, particularly understanding the father will tell us a little bit more about the, who the hunters are and, uh, how they exist. So Mm -hmm. how do we want to do this? Um, I would suggest why don't you had a lot of really good things to say about the father and his motivations and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you want to dig into that? Dig into the father and, and the boy, you know, come up with names and a little bit of a history and see what that kind of suggests to you for where, that connect more long-term from the hunters and stuff like that. And I will do some research and digging into potentials for what the hunters are and where they come from and come up with maybe a couple scenarios from that. And so then when we meet again, we can, you know, you can define the father. I can throw out the scenarios and we can see if there's a match there and then kind of flesh it out from that. And, um, 
and see where that where that takes us at that point. Sounds good. Okay. Perfect. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Please feel free to like and subscribe. We uh, appreciate it, and we appreciate you spending time with us, and we know it's valuable. So thank you, and have an awesome day. See you, Mike. Yep. Take care.